Welcome to Hablamos, Conversations on Teaching, Learning and Bio-Multilingualism, the podcast of the ICME-EE project at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. As is mentioned in the name, the main goal of this podcast is to embrace multilingualism. So we are going to have conversation around this topic in the classroom and how teachers can support bio-multilingual development. I'm Araceli Lovato and I will be your host. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello, welcome to our new episode. Today we have a new guest, obviously, and she is Lorena Mancilla. And she is the director of WIDA in early years. Um, but I will prefer that she introduce herself a little bit more. Um, so, hello, Lorena. Welcome to our podcast. Hello, Araceli. Uh, thank you for having me as a guest. I'm very excited to, to join you and to talk to you today about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, so, we're going to talk about family engagement when, when it's about... Um, children who are in bilingual programs or multilingual learners. So I'm really excited to be here um, and to geek out with you a bit about the family engagement. And we are so glad that you uh, say yes when I ask you to be interviewed because um, <laughs> this is the first time that we have a guest talking about family engagement. So we also are very excited to having you. So I always start uh, the podcast asking the guests if they would like to introduce themselves so the listener can know um, them like a little bit more. So would you mind to introduce yourself? Sure, sure. So I am here speaking with you. I'm, I'm <laughs> calling in from the Chicago area. So I'm calling in live from the Chicago area. Um, but I do work for WIDA and WIDA is based at the University of Wisconsin. Um, so I've been with WIDA. It'll be, oh boy, I'm going on nine years um, in December. <laughs> So currently, I am the director of WIDA Early Years, um, as you mentioned, and Early Years is our early childhood program. So we really focus on the youngest uh, multilingual learners out there. And um, as you can imagine, across the country, the number of children in early care and education that are in homes where a language other than English is spoken mm -hmm. is a huge percentage of children. So I used to be in K-12. I'm a former junior high teacher. So now in my Ooh. work with early childhood audiences, I always tell my K-12 colleagues, I'm like, get ready. <laughs> these children will be knocking on your door soon oh. and your staff needs to be ready. So, yeah, so I, for, for a little over two years now, I've been focused in the world of early childhood and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, prior to that at WIDA, I did a lot with family engagement. Um, I think if my WIDA colleagues were on this podcast right now, they would all say that I was the one that was running around like, can we do stuff with families? Can I do this project <laughs> with families? And I want to do more with families. So family engagement um, evolved for me mm -hmm. as an interest. It started off as an interest 
and it has become a passion. So my own research is in this area. I look at family engagement with education. Um, and what has happened over the years is that at WIDA, we now have a formal vision statement of what, what we want to see when it comes to family engagement. And that is, you know, to help families of multilingual children and youth advocate and communicate with their child's teacher about their children's language development and the relationship of that to their success in, in school or in early childhood settings. Um, so, yeah, we've done some interesting work at WIDA with families uh, collaborating with state education agencies in this area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've done some interesting research projects with families in K-12. And we have some interesting projects going on right now with parents um, of children in early childhood settings. So, yeah, lots to talk about. Lots wow. to talk about. <laughs> so I'm I'm wondering because I I'm super new about this topic. So do you have like a direct relationship with the families or how do you how do you work like what do you do? Like <laughs> how do you get the <laughs> knowledge from the families? <laughs> oh Araceli, we need like an hour or more. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, honestly, um, okay, as a teacher, and you are student teaching right now, mm -hmm. so I think that this will probably hit home to you. Yeah. But as a teacher, really stop and think what in, in your teacher education courses, what experiences or what opportunities did you have? to truly examine, learn about, explore working with multilingual children and youth. So I think that that question alone, mm -hmm. for me, I mean, I, I, my master's is in education. And as I, as I said, I used to be a junior high teacher. Um, I came into the field of teaching, took all my courses, never had a yeah, course I, that I have really zoomed in on yeah. families. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, no, like, go the ahead. other day I have to call home, and I was terrifying because I didn't even know how to do it. So I totally have an answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that experience for me as well. I remember in the classes that that I had to take in teacher in my teacher education courses, I mean, we would talk about the mm -hmm. importance of talking with families, but what with the research and family engagement, and in particular, the research around teacher preparation for working with diverse families, mm -hmm. what that shows is that there's a critical need for making sure teachers are prepared with yeah. the knowledge and the skills needed to truly engage with families. Um, so for me, I think... I reflect now, I look back at the relationships I had with families, and I was a teacher in a bilingual program, mm -hmm. and I taught a year in a Spanish-English dual language program. Uh -huh. So a majority of the parents I interacted with were Latino. Uh, many were of Mexican descent. And um, 
so naturally language, we didn't have a language barrier. I could easily communicate with the parents in Espanol. Mm-hmm. And, um, but now I think back and I'm like, okay, I never truly engaged with them uh-huh. about the fact that their children were identified as English learners and what all that meant. So like, stop and think, Araceli, like think of, Think of in your experience as a as a graduate student and in your experience interacting with educators that you've been interviewing and the podcast and yeah. the educators involved with the project that you're working with. Um, and how often would educators say, you know, we have conversations with families about what families want for their children's language, like what are families yeah. fears about language? You know, language loss is a reality, mm-hmm. language shift, language loss, and parents and what I've seen and what I've heard from parents is when when their children start to lose the home language, mm-hmm. it's, it's an emotional response for parents. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's all these missed opportunities um, between parents and teachers to have rich conversations about language, how we teach language, what we believe about language, what children are doing with language, the impact of all of this to family dynamic. Um, there's so much, there's so much that that we could be doing. And so the question becomes, how do we do it, right? Uh, yeah, um, you, to- you are totally right. Like, um, it's true that uh, in, my, in all my courses, they say that family, it's obviously and I see it right now um, that family is obviously one of the most important part of the student. Um, but it's true that they don't teach us like how to manage that or they give us some clues. But it's true that right now I'm doing my thesis about, um, well, I'm creating an e-workshop for Spanish heritage um, um, speakers. So uh, like mm-hmm. the, the teachers will take these uh, this workshop and I'm like reading a lot about language maintenance and laws and it's very funny because some of the research that I read says that they make question about um, to the parents like do you think that uh, talking to your kid uh, or your child in Spanish can harm him or her and or do you think that um, they're gonna be discriminated and then the results are amazing because some of them are like no not at all and then you have some responses that said Yes, I'm really afraid that um, that my child cannot communicate with my family, or I'm really afraid that my child is going to be hurt because I'm talking to him or her in Spanish in the supermarket. So it's it's really amazing, and it's like we need even more research about that. Mhm, mhm. I had a parent um, who, when I asked when I asked her about you know her her beliefs around language the first thing she said and this was a a mom from mexico but the first Mm -hmm. thing she said is primero está la familia (laughs) family comes first and and she so to her she said if my children lose their spanish that hurts the family primero está la familia and you know i just sat there and i have no who had students in my program of Mexican descent who were born in the United States, mm-hmm. completely educated in the United States, had never been to Mexico before, but were still English learners from kindergarten all the way through junior high. 
some of these kids, they could no longer truly speak Spanish. They could just understand it. They were mm -hmm. still labeled as English learners. And so when it came to communication with the family, that became a challenge. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think what, what started off as observations of, um, I used to be a workshop facilitator when I first joined WIDA. And uh, one of the areas that I would um, uh, specialize in was workshops about um, English proficiency data. So the assessment scores and, uh -huh. and naturally you have to share those scores with um, I facilitated uh, these data literacy workshops in 12 different states. As a part of the workshop, I would always ask, how are you communicating or sharing the scores and this data with the family? Yeah. And so the top two responses were, we mail it home or we give it to them at parent-teacher conferences. So as a facilitator, of course, my job is to, you know, ask probing questions. So then when I would say, well, when you mail it home, what does it look like? Do you just send the scores home? Do you send an additional letter? You know, what does it look like? And so they would often say, well, we send another letter or sometimes they were translated. Sometimes they were not. Um, when it when the responses of, well, we give it to them. So I would come back and say things like, well, what does that look like? What do you mean? Like, do you have a conversation about it? Is it a part of it? And most responses were, no, we just, we just give it to them. We have the printout and we just give it to them. So now, mind you, this was about five, six years ago when I, when I was doing this. But I really started to ask, how much do parents understand about what it means for their child to be an English learner, what it means that their child has to be assessed every year, what does it mean that their child has this proficiency level? But more importantly, on the advocate side of things, yeah. what, what do parents understand about the rights that their children have? So, for instance, if the child speaks no English um, but is told as a homework assignment, read this 30-page <laughs> chapter in English and respond to the questions, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that becomes then an issue of equity. So parents have the right to advocate, to be able to say, my child is an English learner and this assignment they need, he or she needs support yeah. do this assignment. So that's really where, where I really started to wonder from a parent perspective, what, what do they understand? What, what information is given to them from the teacher perspective? What are the practices that are commonly used? And it's been really, really interesting. It's been a lot of fun. Um, to to interview parents, I've done presentations with parents. To I've done a lot of workshops and presentations with educators and state leaders, and mm -hmm. and it's amazing to hear the conversations because a lot of people will step back and say, oh, you know, usually when we think about family engagement, we think um, literacy night, math night, mm -hmm. parent teacher conferences, and it's get the parents physically in the school, right? Like if you're not at school, then you're often considered you're not engaged or you don't yeah. care if you're not coming to the school. But we have to think about it a little different for parents of multilingual children and youth because of cultural practices, just differences in what they believe engagement should look like. 
And what I've learned from work with families is that often families are doing a crazy amount of stuff at home, behind the scenes that the teachers aren't aware of, but it's stuff that's valuable to the children and to the families. And a lot of it has to do with language. Parents will do a lot of things to help their children pronounce things correctly. They correct their children. They want their children to be practicing. If we go to the fruteria, I want you to order food in Spanish. If we go here, I want you to speak in Spanish or hablale en español a tu abuelita. (laughs) You know, so parents are doing all kinds of things to keep the language alive. Yeah. Simple things like just reading a book when they go to bed or just trying not to switch to them when they're talking uh, to them in English or something like that. Like there are so many support ways that parents do um, that because I don't know about Chicago, but here like in Nebraska, it's very, I feel that there are not so many institutions that help um, parents to, you know, to maintain their language. So they, they are on their own doing it so mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. as a teacher we need to tell them okay there there are different strategies that you can use so your child doesn't also um lose like they don't lose the the, the language so teachers need to be aware of that so i'm very happy that you mm-hmm. <laughs> you work on family engagement <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, you know it's because I understand not every school, not every district is going to be able to offer bilingual programs or to yeah. support home language development in in all the languages that are represented, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe that it's still an important conversation to have because I'm a huge fan of the work of Lilia Bartolome. She's a scholar that I absolutely love. And Lilia writes a lot about the need for teachers to have like a critical consciousness mm-hmm. that the, that teaching is not neutral. It's not. And when you teach language, it's to, it's not neutral. To say, oh, I'm just going to teach English. The teaching of another language, whether we recognize it or not, can send all kinds of messages to children about yeah. language which language is more important, which language is less important, which language is considered appropriate here, which language is not. There's all kinds of messages that kids can pick up and so do families. So I think that having that conversation, because I've had in audiences where we have our ESL programs, we don't support home language, it's just English, but if the family, you know, speaks this other language and and they want their children, you know, we can't help them. I'm like, well, I understand you can't offer the program, but you should have that conversation because that's a valid fear or concern that the parent has. And us teaching in English, I mean, as language educators, we should be able to have conversations. Well, there may be resources in the community or resources online or considerations that parents should have. um, So, for example, with Spanish speaking parents, um, parent, I've I've worked with them and and I'll say things like, you know, what do you want for your child Mm -hmm. uh, in the future? You know, and many of them will say, I want my child to be bilingual. So because it'll help them get a good job. So then I say things to them like, okay what kind of bilingual? And then they look at me like, well, what do you mean? And I'll say things like, 
well, what kind of job do you see them having? And so when I start asking parents these types of questions, like to really get in, and then they'll say something like, in most cases, they'll say, but, uh, you know, they want their child to be a professional. Quiero que sea algo profesional, mm -hmm. un profesional. And I say, okay, so do you picture them doing a job where they're going to have to just read and write in the other language, listen, speak, read and write. And then they start thinking about it. And in most cases, they'll be like, well, no, we want them to do all four. That's when I have the conversation of, okay, if your school can't support Spanish, right, in this case, for this example, then at home, because the parents will say, well, at home, we speak it. Okay, but what opportunities are, are available to you or who can help? with the reading and the writing. Because, you know, for me, for instance, as, as a Latina, I, I never had formal instruction in, mm -hmm. in Spanish. So I grew up being able to speak it and listen to it and I could read it. But if you ask me to write it, the accent marks always kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's when I have those conversations with parents so that they can understand there's different ways of being bilingual. And some can just happen naturally if they're growing up and the parent and the kids are just hearing the language. But if the parents are hoping that their child can be, you know, read, write, listen, speak in the home language plus English, that's going to require a lot of support. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. and it's, it's just a space for those conversations. Yeah. Wow. We could, like, as you said, well, we can have this conversation for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's it's almost time to close up the conversation. So would you like to say something um, to grab this conversation or like uh, something that you want listener to take away from this conversation? Um, yeah, I could summarize. Um, <laughs> I know, I know not all of your listeners are, um, in states that are members of the WIDA consortium, but if you visit the WIDA website, um, we do have PDFs that are freely available mm -hmm. to anybody about the way that, uh, this language focused family engagement. So I think if I could leave a quick, um, recap. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a resource on our website, and it's called ABCs of Family Engagement. And these are themes that mm -hmm. we identified from a literature review that are important considerations for educators to take into account when they're working with families that are culturally, linguistically, racially diverse. So A, B, C. A, awareness, <laughs> advocacy. B, building trust brokering c connect to learning communication so again this is if you google on the WIDA website or search the WIDA website and look up abc's of family engagement you'll find this pdf it's a very teachers have um both in WIDA states and in not WIDA states they've loved it it's it's applicable you don't have to be in a WIDA state to to use this to, use to understand it. it 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 speaks broadly of these six areas so yeah i'll leave always, you with that <laughs> perfect we always highlight uh the guests and we write a little bit um like a little description on our website so i will link the pdf and the website so they can just go there and look for it 
Excellent. Perfect. So thank you so much for this conversation. I really like it. I wish I could have more time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Araceli, for the invitation and for chatting with me and letting me geek out with you and your audience. Yeah, thank I, was you. <laughs> I was thinking maybe you, we should have that in Spanish. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, yes, <risa> claro que sí, a la próxima. <risa> pues muchísimas gracias, Lorena. Sí, de nada, de nada, gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego, bye bye.